Hello, this is Donna Reesh of Raising Kids with Character, Homeschooling with Character, and Language Lady, all affiliated with our small press publishing company, Character Inc. Welcome to this Wondering Wednesday podcast episode, in which I answer questions that are posed to us about homeschooling, parenting, marriage, teaching, preschool, home management, language arts, teens and young adults, and everything in between. We answer these questions based on our 33, almost, years of parenting experience of seven children between the ages of 17 and almost 33, and our 32, almost, years of homeschooling. We began homeschooling my younger sister when our oldest was one year old. So we've been at the homeschooling um, for almost 32 years now, and obviously parenting for 33 and uh, just really enjoy doing our Raising Kids with Character parenting seminars, as well as homeschooling with character parenting seminars for homeschoolers, and speaking at homeschool conventions and small groups and so forth about parenting and homeschooling and all the various subjects that we talk about. So anyway, um, this is somewhat of a sequel to last week's four D's of behavior. I'm going to be uh, zeroing in today on uh, behaviors of 10 to 12-year-olds. Now, last week was a little bit heavy with um, a little bit more negativity than maybe I like because I'm a very positive and upbeat kind of person. Um, And this week will probably be much the same. So I do want you, because I'm answering questions that are very heavy, I'm answering questions that um, have been posed to us that are, are problems that cannot be just turned around simply by spending more time with your child or by um, heart training or uh, liking what your child likes and um, giving expectation explanations when they're three and four and and those kind of things because they're things that um, were not dealt with earlier in a lot of ways and so then they're harder to overcome. So I did want to warn you about that because I don't want to come across as only talking about problems at various stages and ages of children. If you knew me uh, at all, you would know that I adore children. I teach 100 students every year in my cottage classes to test my 40, um, my 60 curriculum books. So um, it's not for lack of love of children that I talk these two weeks in a row about discipline. Next week, I am going to be rounding this out, however, with uh, insights on gaining the hearts of those 10 to 12 year olds, uh, in the midst of all of this discipline and all of these kinds of things that you're trying to turn around. Um, and so I do hope you'll join us next week for just a lot of, of ideas that we have found to really, um, be able to disciple, mentor, and, uh, spend time with and grow with our, uh, preteens and our teens. Um, because, for every discipline um, tip that we have, we probably have three things that we could tell you about getting the hearts of these children and um, just really uh, building relationships with them. Uh, that is really what we have spent the bulk of the last 10 years doing uh, with our um 
our older children for sure. Well, really with all of them now. Um, and it's just been tremendous. So I'm going to be answering questions specifically about disciplining 10 through 12 year olds, uh, when you have not followed necessarily the four D's, um, of separating out behaviors. And I hope you'll listen to that, uh, last week's podcast as well as our raising kids with character, terms and concepts podcast episode. Both of those will help you understand this one better. But um, uh, with this 10 to 12 year old um, things, I want to, uh, the questions that were posed had to do with disrespect, being mean to younger siblings, um, not obeying commands, uh, and, and then also not obeying, obeying routine things. So I'm going to separate it out for sure. Um, just like we like to do in our parenting seminars with foolishness and childishness. Um, and, uh, I will have, um, a, uh, printable in the newsletter the week that this, podcast episode comes out. So I do hope you'll join, uh, subscribe to the newsletter because the, um, print, we're going to start having printables that are only for the newsletter subscribers. So, um, the week that this podcast episode plays, um, in that newsletter, there will be a link where you can go get a printable for, um, uh, some techniques that I'm going to be talking about here in a little bit with the character aspects of it. But first of all, I want to talk about the four D's problems that uh, some moms have recently come to me with. And that is uh, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds who simply, uh, the parents really feel like they've missed the, missed the boat. They feel like um, they did not discipline in love and they were angry a lot and they handled behavior problems with yelling and um, not with just really tending to them and not just with separating out and realizing, you know, what's going on in the hearts of their children as they were growing up and, and allowed to, uh, allowed to be disrespectful or disobedient or defiant and, and mean uh, to younger siblings. And then the, um, the discipline wasn't there. So we went to our, they went to their default position, which is anger and yelling. And I understand that fully. I'm, I'm not, I'm not beyond yelling throughout my parenting sometimes. Um, and I know how frustrating it can be to feel like you don't have a handle on things. And so uh, I'm going to start there. First of all, um, the first question that was posed to me about this is with 10 and 11 year olds and spanking. And so, um, I'm going to address that first. First of all, um, the the goal, I mean, the hope is that by eight and nine years old, you, you know, that spanking will not be something that has to be used a lot, if if any. I mean, I remember going to parenting seminars where the, the parenting teacher said, if I want to... If I want to spank... Uh, my child until she's 18, I will. And I just remember just, oh, that just made me cringe just to even have that plan in mind. Um, just why would you ever want to spank a, an 18 year old and why would you try even? But at any rate, 
the goal is, you know, that you've taken care of these things and that at eight, you know, nine and 10 and 11 and 12, that those things are behind you. And, and not that you don't have to deal with problems because you do, but that there's not a characterized by. We've talked about that a lot, how you're characterized by something. Um, and so if your child is characterized by those behaviors of disrespect and defiance and disobedience at 10, 11, and 12, then you, you know, probably are looking at, you know, should I go back to spanking, you know, and how should I handle that? And so, um, I will say this just about spanking in general, that, uh, our, we would try not to spank after age 10 for the most part, but we did spank some after age 10, but the, the kind of criteria, so to speak, um, would be based completely on the child's, um, uh, maturity. And so in that regard, we seldom spanked girls at 11 or 12 years old. I remember one time that we did and wish we had, we wish we had it. We were just trying to get a handle on something and, and kind of, I, I think really throwing our weight around a little bit. And, um, and it distanced that daughter who was 12 from us. Um, and it took some, some work to get that back. Uh, it, it was humiliating to her and she hadn't been spanked for a long time. And, and, um, I just, I wish we hadn't done it. And so, um, if your child is 12 years old and has not been spanked for a long time, especially if she's a mature girl, I wouldn't go there. I just wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think about it because I think that you risk relationship so much. Um, but we did spank boys longer than we spanked girls. And, um, that was just because of maturity. You know, the girls, our girls were, wow. I mean, at 10, they were, they were like, you know, 14 and 15 year olds and, and even older in their maturity and in their, uh, responsibility level and things like that. And so, um, it would, you know, by 14, any kind of discipline like that would have been like disciplining an adult, but are, are punishing an adult, I should say. But, um, with boys, I know that we did spank at 10 and 11 and probably even 12. Uh, they were, you know, not so physically developed. I mean, not that I'm saying it's based on size, but as far as physical development, that usually means, you know, that they're, they're going through puberty and stuff like that. They were not as, as physically developed and they were not as mature and they seemed like little kids in a lot of ways. And so in that regard, we would continue. Now, if you haven't spanked for a long time, I don't really know that that's a place to go, um, to try to, to try to win back everything that you feel like you need to win back. So, uh, that's just maturity and, um, you know, how you have been handling discipline and all that will come together. But for sure, you know, with the four D's from last week, you know, never, ever spank for routine behaviors, not doing chores, not following through on something. I mean, it would be blatant disrespect, disobedience, and meanness, um, and dishonesty that I would even consider it for. All right. So back to 10, 11, 12, you know, we feel like we missed the boat. The first thing is, that in uh, looking at what we like to talk about in our seminars as parents' responsibility, always, 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 we have to go back to what is my responsibility and what have I missed? Because we cannot have expectations of our children when we have not fulfilled our responsibilities. You know, that that for a, a two-year-old is, you know, I didn't get him his nap. 
I ran around all day and now he is this way and he's having this kind of behavior and it's my fault. And it is. It's parents' responsibility to uh, be sure that a child is rested and fed and all of those things. And so with a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old, you know, having not fulfilled some of those responsibilities, instead you have to go back and, and first of all, work on yourself. So the first thing I would do is apologize. I would just heartfelt, one-on-one apology with both parents and the child, you know, we have disciplined in anger. We have yelled. We have um, been short with you and not treated you the way that we would want to be treated. We have not considered the behaviors and, and really tackled the things that were important and really focused on the hard things. And, and if this is true, a lot of times parents who yell, they yell about everything. And so in that regard, you probably have made everything equal. So whether the bicycle was left in the driveway or a younger sibling was hit or she hit, he or she hit a younger sibling or whether a, um, the dishwasher was not unloaded before bed as a routine behavior, um, or whether the child talked back to mom and more than likely those at that if you are an angry parent who's yelled, those behaviors have all been deemed equal um, to your child. And, and he or she probably feels like they're, they're all the same and I can't please you no matter what I do. So um, with that, I would start with an apology that we have, we failed you in this regard and, and we are sorry. We want to help you become the adult that you are supposed to become. We want to... Uh, be able to have a relationship with you when you are a teen of discipling and mentoring and having fun together and helping you grow into adulthood, helping you make these important decisions that you're going to be making between 14 and 20. And we realize that where we're at right now, we can't do that. So the first thing that I would do is take responsibility for your wrongdoing. Um, and, you know, tell your child you're not perfect. It's not like from this moment on you're going to never yell or anything else, but that you are going to try to sit down and talk each week about you guys' relationships and so on and so forth, uh, trying to bridge that gap. Again, I'm going to talk a lot more about those relationships next week. But if your child knows that you are genuinely trying, I, I have been just amazed at the power of availability, first of all, in parents and, and, uh, my husband and, and me in parenting and, um, that effect that it had on our children and the power of simply, you know, we want things to be different. We, we, our heart is with you. Our heart is not with distance and with chaos and with fighting and strife. And just how far that went, even in all of our mistakes and all of our parenting, you know, sins, so to speak. I mean, we were not perfect parents and I definitely, um, you know, as an emotional hormonal woman, many times, uh, didn't handle things right. But the, the power of love in all of that has just been so amazing to me. And so communicate that so clearly, um, to your child. And then I would, uh, the next thing that I would do after that is I would go into an area that is the most needy. Now, you know, you might be looking at this saying, you know, 
she strikes a younger sibling. She's disrespectful to her mom. She walks away from her dad. She doesn't do what we tell her to do. She, um, pouts around the house and is grouchy. I'm just thinking of some things, you know, that maybe you might be dealing with a 10, 11 and 12 year old. And so, you know, where do I start? They're all really, really, really big. Um, and so I, I mean, you have to pick, you know, like the, the whole old saying goes, you know, the squeakiest wheel, but, um, just to give you some uh, parameters here, I would definitely look at, um, the disrespect to parents, especially if you have younger children in the home, because, um, the power also of the trickle down effect and what you do with your first two kids, if you have, you know, a few or three kids, if you have several is absolutely phenomenal. And so, um, I would definitely look at that and I would just say, you know, we have a heart behavior that we have to turn around first and foremost and that is disrespect. That is the way you talk to dad and mom. That's the way you answer us. That is the way that you, um, uh, roll your eyes, walk away, stomp, slam, whatever it might be. Those disrespectful actions, um, are you, are the, you know, a lot of times the, the worst things in this age group when things have been left left on their own or left, um, undone. And so that's what I would focus on first if I were looking at this situation. Um, there's also, you know, to consider, you know, meanness, because if there is a lot of, um, meanness, unkindness, uh, especially if there's striking or any kind of physical hurting involved, uh, with an older child and younger siblings, you know, that, that would really alarm me. And so that's another thing that, um, I would consider, you know, working on first. Um, I mean, you know, it, it, you can really get with 10 and 11 and 12 year olds behavior, such as not unloading the dishwasher before bed, those can become unroutine and they can become disobedience very easily. As I talked about last week, um, moving that from gray to black and white and trying to get a handle on it. But, you know, if worse comes to worse, you know, mom and dad can unload the dishwasher for another month while you get a handle on this other stuff. So, um, that's, that's another, another thing to consider. So with the disrespect, um, at this stage and at this age, there has to be a way that the child can, uh, redeem himself, so to speak, because he's not going, you're not going to say tonight in a meeting with your child, you know, this has to stop and tomorrow we don't want any more of it. And, and if it's been allowed, it's not going to just turn around. If, if all day today your child said whatever he wanted to, to you, and you said, stop talking like that, you're going to get your mouth washed out with soap. Or if you don't quit it, you're not going to get to go to that basketball game or whatever. And you've handled things like that all day today. Tomorrow, you're not going to wake up and because you had this talk tonight, have it be different. So, um, you need a plan of action and, um, you know, 12 year olds and up, especially you want to make that plan with the child 10 and 11, maybe not, you know, it's up to, it depends on the maturity of your child and what you and your uh, spouse decide, but, uh, you need a plan and the plan needs to be something. I'll just throw out an example of one. The plan needs to be something like this that, you know, we have to stop this disrespectfulness. Um, I would, you know, if you think it's appropriate, 
teach what the Bible says about it, especially if your child has a sensitive heart towards God. Um, you know, not in a, not, all of this has to be non-conflict. Um, I have some stuff at the blog about that. It can't be, you can't do this while the disrespect is happening. It has to be, you know, we're going to talk, you know, we're not going to talk about what's happening right now. We're going to talk about the future. We're going to get a handle on it. Uh, because as soon as you start in conflict times, then you all of a sudden have blame going back and forth about this particular scenario. You don't want to talk about this particular situation. You don't want to talk about this last hour's disrespect. You want to talk about it from a future standpoint. Um, you know, because otherwise then you get into this, but then you did this. Well, it's not my fault, mom. You did that, but you, you shouldn't have done this and you should have done that. And, and you don't want to do that because you're never going to solve it if it has been handled, you know, in the wrong way prior to this and your child has been allowed to say whatever he wants. So, um, you know, don't talk about past. This is what we want to do for the future. This is what we want to turn around. We don't want you to say and then tell whatever it is that you don't want said anymore. We don't want you to say, you know, bad things about mom and dad behind our backs to the other siblings. We don't want you to say no. We don't want you to um, roll your eyes. We don't want you to say, ah, mom, you know, whatever it is. And maybe even write those down. Make a list of those things that you do not want um, to to happen. And then, um, uh, talk about what, what you're going to do about it. Like I said, it's not going to start tomorrow where it doesn't happen. So instead it needs to be something like, okay, these are the things that we want turned around. And I know that you want us to do, and then ask the child what would help him to be able to not say those things and do those things. And to be honest, he might be saying something like for you to for you to be a decent pet mom or whatever, if he's been saying bad things to you already. And so you're just going to have to put up with it for now. Um, you know, if he, if he has a lot of bad things to say about you or to you, you know, obviously you don't let it get out of control, but try to hear what is happening. We always taught our children that reality perception is reality. Um, that, uh, um, whatever your, the other person thinks you did, you probably did. Or at least if the person thinks you did it, you did something similar enough to make that person think you did it. And we taught our children in their relationships with each other that if, if that person thinks you did it, then you need to make it right because you probably did something. And, um, the same is true with our children. If they say, you know, we, you always do this and you always do that. Don't defend yourself. Just say, I can see why you would think that. I can see where you would feel that way and, and see what he wants you to change. So he might say, you know, I don't want you to nag me about every little chore. I don't want you to, to, to yell at me, you know, when I, when I'm fighting with Susie or whatever. And then you can say, I can see why I, you don't want us to do those things. So this is the plan of attack. We will try not to yell. And we will try to talk to you in a calm voice and, um, we will, uh, you know, not say bad things about you when we're mad at you. Like, why are you always like this? You just bring the whole family down or whatever. We'll try not to say those things to you. And we want you to do the following. And, uh, at this point, um, 
do you have to give the child an out? What that means is you have to give him a chance to change. You take him a chance to redeem himself because it's not going to just turn around immediately. And so your, your plan might be that, um, we don't want the tone of voice that you use towards us used anymore. We want that changed and we don't want the, these words, whatever the words are that you don't want him to say anymore. And then you could say, but we know that you're, that it's not going to just, you know, turn around overnight. And so we're going to help you learn how to do that without punishing you all the time for every little infraction at first. And, and this is how we're going to do it. Whenever you start to do that, if we tell you, you know, you forgot to unload the dishwasher, why are you always nagging me? Or when we say, don't be mean to your sister and you say, well, you don't have any idea what she did. We're going to say to you that those are not respectful words. This is your chance to change them. Or that is not a respectful tone. This is your chance to change it. And you need two or three signaling sentences that you can use with your child to turn that around. And they need to be the same all the time. And they need to be in a tone, a voice that is not screaming or yelling or angry or mad or uh, condescending or blaming. And so, um, those signaling words are your child's out. And so he could be just screaming and, and doing whatever it is that he does. And you can say to him, those are not respectful words. This is your chance to change them. Okay. I talked a lot, um, about this with, in our preschool one, the three, the four problems, four preschool problems and how to solve them. Because a lot of times, uh, we expect immediate changes in behavior, um, when children need a training period or they need a, a rebooting, so to speak, uh, a chance to change that behavior and signaling words and sentences do that. They give the child a chance to take a step back, think about what he just said and turn it around. And so, um, we would say to the child, um, you know, that's not a respectful tone. Use those words. That's, those are not respectful words. This is your chance to change those. This is your chance to change it. If it's tone or words, whatever you're using to say. And then, um, at that point, the child can, he has a chance to check himself. He has a chance to decide for himself. I want to honor God. I want to honor my parents. I want to change it. And then he can say to you, whatever it is, you know, that the problem is he can talk to you about it in a normal, in a normal tone. And, um, and then at that point, um, if he doesn't choose, um, to change it, then you and your husband have to come up with what your plan is going to be. Uh, you know, you, if you've heard us speak in the past and I know the, the questions that we've received lately are from people who have heard us speak. And so, um, you know, that we're not really big on sending a child to his room for, uh, four D's and maybe for a cooling off period, but not necessarily as the punishment for those types of behaviors. And so, um, but you know, if the child is 10 to 12, you might be, you know, just really not have as many options. Um, so you need to decide together what it is that you, um, and your spouse are going to do about, um, 
the, the type, those types of behaviors. And, uh, the child needs to know what they are too. So at that point, you know, he's choosing and, and you've taken it from gray, you know, disrespectful meanness. You can't do all that to black and white. And then you have to decide at that point what it is that you're going to do about it. Now, um, I, I said that I was going to talk about, uh, building relationship next week, but it's actually going to be the week after that because it's going to have to be divided into two. The first part, uh, the 4D behaviors and the second part, uh, character behaviors because it's getting long. Um, but, uh, you have to decide what you're going to do once he chooses not to get control of himself. Once he chooses to continue with disrespect, because at that point he is making a conscience, conscious decision. And that's the good thing about using signaling words because you're giving him a chance to think it through and to change his behavior. But if he doesn't, then it has to be something that he already knows is coming that you and he and your husband have decided the spouse, your spouse have decided together. This is what we're going to do about that type of behavior. And, um, so whatever that is at that point, uh, you know, you need to say, okay, you, you're choosing to continue to be disrespectful. Um, and your dad and I will tell you tonight what we're going to do about that, but it will be something off of the, uh, out of our discussion, um, you know, out of the disrespect list or whatever. And then you should have, you don't need to tell him necessarily what it's going to be at that moment. Um, especially if you're angry, don't start yelling this is what's going to happen to you. Da, 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 da. Just say, dad and I are going to talk tonight, but you leave us no choice. You are choosing to be disrespectful. And, um, so we'll talk about the punishment tonight and, and then just leave it at that. And then with your spouse, then another thing is, especially if you have boys, you know, at this stage, a, a shouting match between a boy and a mom is a really, really bad idea. And, um, it's not good between a girl and a mom either, but it's really bad between a boy and a mom because you're just beating down his leadership and you're beating down his, his, uh, growing, um, confidence as, as, um, a future leader of his home. And so, um, just end it, just end it. Just say, I don't want to talk about it anymore right now, but tonight dad and I, and you will sit down and, um, from the the list that we talked about for disrespectful punishments, um, dad and I will need to, um, need to punish you from that. And then just, and then leave it at that. You, you want to get out of the crazy cycle as, uh, that author of love and respect talks about in marriage. You want to get out of the crazy cycle with your child where he screams, you scream, he screams, you scream. And so hopefully this will help with that, uh, disrespect. Um, and it, it will help to be able to, to really just tone it down and to, um, get a handle on it immediately by having a calming signaling, uh, phrase or words that will help, uh, counteract that. Okay. I would like to move into disobedience at this age, um, and the no response rule in this age group, really from about eight and on up, maybe even a little bit before that, something happens in the realm of obedience. Prior to that time, we pretty much have where we give a command and it is either followed or it is not. And it's pretty clear what is happening as far as obedience is concerned. You know, you tell your five-year-old, go put on your shoes 
and your five-year-old doesn't move from in front of the television or whatever. And it's very obvious that, you know, that, that obedience is not taking place. We've talked about a lot of things in our preschool, uh, podcast episodes as well as our blog post about this and you know in those ages you have to get the child's attention you have to make sure that the the expectations are fully communicated that's why we talk so much about expectation explanations and and all of those things you know make up teaching a child to obey you know where the eye contact is made he, a response is given so that you know that he understands and all those things. But it's usually a direct disobedience in those ages. So it's really easy to tell what's going on. It's easy to tell, you know, when something is not being obeyed and so on. And really it's easier at that time to parent in black and white than it is once your child starts to get older. Um, because then it's harder to tell what is going on because it might not be a direct command that is being violated. And that's when it gets a little bit tricky because that's when it starts to get very gray and we start to parent in the gray a lot more. And we start also to dialogue a lot more. Maybe when the children are younger, we have, you know, we expect immediate obedience. Maybe we've trained them or we've, we've raised them in that way. And we've, you know, ourselves believe that, you know, we say something, the child should say yes, and then the child should obey and, and so on and so forth. And, um, then all of a sudden things become very gray. And so that's why we have used the, what we call our no response rule with this age group. We're still going to do a lot of the same things that I talked about in disrespect and some of the things that we're getting ready to talk about, um, with fighting and so on and so forth. Um, and that is first of all, to appeal to the children or the child uh, with an apology, a heartfelt apology that, that, you know, you have let this behavior go on and now you're realizing that, you know, he's not going to be um, a successful employee someday, um, that it's going to be hard for him to follow God and the Bible because he doesn't want to submit to authority, that you know, you want him to have a good, her or him to have a good marriage later on. And that involves mutual submission and not always having the last say, not always having things his or her way, um, being able to submit to the other person, being able to defer. We talk a lot about deference in our parenting seminar that I can put my wants aside and, and give you what you want. And you know, that, that you realize that you have created an atmosphere in within the child and in a kind of a response within the child that doesn't breed success in the future. And again, you have to be really careful when you're approaching your child with an apology uh, about any parenting error, but especially in these areas, because it's so easy to look at what the child is doing and say, yeah, okay, I need to take responsibility because I didn't, you know, train him right, but you know, look what he's doing. And you have to really believe that you caused a lot of that in order for the apology to be heartfelt. You have to really believe that, um, you know, his behavior is a direct result of your lack of, um, of uh, strong parenting in this area. And it's not to say that you're going to say, I'm a terrible parent, I've been a bad parent, you know, please forgive me. I would get very specific. You know, we, we realize, you know, that as you turn 10 and 11, we just, we let this happen and now, you know, we, we don't have peace and you don't have peace and, and, you know, you're not going to be able to grow up to be the kind of person that we want you to be and that we know you want to be. 
And so just be very careful not to designate blame to the child when you apologize. Um, no matter how terrible his behavior is, you know, it's still your part that you've got to apologize for. And then secondly, uh, is to look at the situation, look at every situation and say, what can I do to take this from gray to black and white? And, um, the way with obedience to take it from gray to black and white is to go back to the time when it was a direct command. Now that's hard to do because things are routine and you know, I don't know how many of you have been on our parenting seminar, but when we talk in our parenting seminar about the beginning of a child's life and how it's, you know, 100% parent controlled and, and 0% child controlled, that means that you determine, you know, pretty much your child doesn't go off and do something on his own. So you are, you know, there doing everything for the child. And then, you know, 10% of child control, the child controls and then 90% the parent controls. And that keeps on widening. Well, as it gets to this age and you're hopefully, you know, your child is making decisions, your child is, is, you know, being independent and those kind of things, then the parents have less control and the child has more control. And that's the way it should be. We want this, this switching of the control. Um, but as that happens, that's when things get gray. And so it's really hard. You can't just go back and say, okay, now, you know, I know you're 10, but we're going to go back to when you were five and, you know, you're going to look me in the eye and I'm going to say, go put on your socks. And you're going to say, yes, ma'am. Then you're going to go put on your socks. It's not like that. And you don't want it to be, you know, because you want your child to gain independence. You know, your child should be able to go get ready for the day. You know, if you say go get ready for the day, but it all, that's also when it gets gray, because what does go get ready for the day mean compared to when you told your four-year-old go put on your socks. And, and so, you know, that is why it becomes very gray. And so you do want to take it into black and white as much as possible without, you know, sacrificing the independence and the growth that your child has had because you don't want to take him back to, um, the, you know, those ages of total dependence on you either. And so the problem with this age is that it's not, uh, you know, it's not in black and white, it's gray, but another problem associated with the grayness is that the child, um, doesn't just come right out and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, in the case of, you know, go get ready for the day, we need to leave here in 10 minutes, you know, the child doesn't say no, he just doesn't do part of whatever it is that you're telling him to do. Or maybe he's saying, um, I don't want to go to the grocery. You know, dad said that I could start staying home, staying home by myself some. And, and then you start in this dialogue and it's all gray, 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 gray. So, uh, this is why we have developed the no, no, um, response rule. So again, we're going to take the same steps. We're going to meet ahead of time with the child. We're going to list the, um, behaviors that we do not want. Um, and we're going to list the consequences for those behaviors. And we're going to set a protocol. That is, what is our plan? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to take it from gray to black and white? And what's going to happen? What kind of interchange is going to take place? One thing that has to change is that you have to quit saying, no, I want you to go ahead and do it anyway. Go go ahead and get ready for the day. Dad wasn't talking about in the evenings. He was talking about in the afternoons. But but it's not really dark yet. Dad, and then all of a sudden, you're so, so gray. And you have this interchange going. So the first thing you have to do is stop the exchange of information that goes back and forth for a while. Now, also, if you've heard us talk about tweens and teens, and you've heard my my just adoration for the stage of life that we are in with seven children, 17 through 33, that it's just absolutely amazing 
to be able to have children that can talk to you about things and that, you know, that they can bounce things off of you and they don't have to worry about you being mad or angry or judgmental or whatever. But if your child is 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 and consistently you feel that he, you know, argues with you and disagrees with you all the time, then you're not going to be able to get to that place. And so, yes, heart training and heart affecting just really, really reaching the heart of your uh, teen and your tween. That's all important. That's why we're going to talk about that in two weeks. But at the same time, you're not, you can't get there. You don't get to that point with a child who's talking back to you all the time. You don't get to that point with a child who disagrees with almost everything you say. Now, also with that, before I, I talk about how to uh, instill the uh, no response rule, is to watch out for two things specifically when it comes to obedience. The first thing is that you might have to scale back the number of commands that you are giving. Now, you know, I don't want this to sound like one of those pick your battles parenting uh, audios because I think that part of the problem with pick your battles is that you are just basically resigning your fat yourself to the fact that your child will not obey. So you're just going to have to go ahead and let him do whatever he wants. That's um, that's not uh, the way to handle parenting the situation. But at the same time, more than likely because of your child disagreeing with you when you tell him to do something, you probably give way, way too many commands. More than likely, you are just saying constantly, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And um, so the first thing is to scale back your commands just so that you are not micromanaging your child so much. And so that you can get a handle on obedience because you're not constantly requiring so much. Um, you know, it can get to the point where our children think that no matter what they do, they're not going to please us. And so um, we have to be careful with that. The The second thing is that... Um, with the, with the scaling back of, of the number of commands and so on, is to um, just totally extinguish the dialogue back and forth. Um, and in that, be very, very careful that you are not using extreme words. We have a tendency when our children push our buttons to use words like always, never, those type of things. And even though it feels like right now, possibly, your child never just says yes and goes to do what you want him to do, or your daughter always has something to say after you tell her to do something, either an argument, a better idea, um, a, a new way to do it, uh, a delay, something. Um, you need to not say never and always because, those. Th- first of all, those things aren't true. Your child doesn't always, every single time, 100% disagree with you when you tell her to do something. Secondly, um, you don't want to leave room for argument. And when you say that your child always does something and it's not true, you leave a lot of room for argument um, with your child, for your child to argue with you about your terminology. So, um, first of all, reduce your commands. Second of all, reduce the number of commands. And second of all, um, try to eliminate some of those absolute words from your vocabulary. You know, say something like, it just feels like you really disagree with me a lot, rather than you always disagree with me. All right. So when you are approaching the child, you know, you're going to say, I want you to be able to talk with us about things. I want you to give me your better idea. 
sometimes. I want to be able to give you the opportunity to change my mind even because I'm an open-minded parent and I want you to have decision-making skills and all of those things. But when you are so unhappy so much of the time with our commands and with our requests, then that is when we have to say, you know what, for a while, we're going to say that you can't disagree with us just for a brief period of time. Now, this is a a temporary fix. Um, For one thing, it's not something that you want to do all the time for the reason that I, the reasons that I just gave, you want your child to, you know, come to you. You want to talk things through. You want to help him learn decision-making skills and, and, uh, critical thinking skills and things like that. So it's not like you want to do this forever, but um, you do want to do it for a period of time until you get a handle on it. What happens when you start um, instilling the no response rule is number one, the child starts to realize how often she really does disagree with you, which she can't do it at all. It brings it to her attention. You know, wow, I'm not allowed to say anything right now. You know, I guess I really do disagree a lot. It'll show you also how often you guys have an interchange or how often you have this this dialogue going on back and forth, back and forth, and how oftentimes it's not needed. There are some things that our kids just have to do because they have to do them. And, and so, um, you know, it'll show you also what's going on there. Thirdly, it will, once it's over, it will help your child to determine which times she wants to disagree with you and which times really aren't that important to her. And um, lastly, it'll bring a lot of respect about because you won't have this dialogue that escalates into arguments that also escalates into disrespect. You know, a lot of times we give our children in these ages commands. It starts out with, you know, I want you, you know, to do this. And then, well, you know, dad said that I could start staying up a little bit later soon. And, and, you know, I think we should start doing that now. And then you say, well, you know, now isn't a good night for that. We need to talk about that some more and we need to make a firm decision about how we're going to handle it and stuff. And then, and then she says, but that's not fair. And the next thing you know, it's not just, um, you know, a respectful, Interchange. It isn't, you know, it's, it escalates into disrespect. And so um, the no response rule really does solve a lot of those problems. Okay, so you have your meeting with your child and you know what your undesirable behaviors are or what the um, unacceptable behaviors are. And so does your child. You've also decided ahead of time what the consequences will be. I talked about this a lot in the four Ds and it's really difficult to differentiate between heart behaviors, that is the four D's, and the behaviors that our children just have because they're children. Childishness, forgetfulness, um, carelessness, irresponsibility, and all those things that you want to train them in. All those things that you want to teach them. And so because of that, we recommend early on that you differentiate between these behaviors by how serious you consider them and also by how you respond to the behaviors. I'm going to talk a lot about those character training things next week for this age, but it will also apply to all ages. That is, how can we turn around a child who doesn't do his homework or who doesn't follow through on chores and those type of things? 
But these type of behaviors in the four Ds and the types that we're talking about today are those behaviors that are more serious. And so, therefore, you want to be sure that your consequences match the seriousness of the behavior. When they are younger, we recommend spanking children for these type of behaviors. But depending on your age, and I talked about this a lot in the four Ds, the ages of your children and also how they respond to being spanked, you may not want to spank. And so because of that, you need to be sure that the behavior, the uh, consequences match the behavior. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even call them consequences. We save the word consequences for childish behavior, for character things. These will be your consequences more, as, at least when we're talking to our children. And punishment is more for the heart behaviors. You can do it however you want, but just to be sure that you are differentiating between the two and bringing up the seriousness of these four D's of the heart issues. So now that you've done all of that, you are ready to actually implement the no response rule. And here would be one suggestion. You can handle it a number of ways, but here is one suggestion, especially if you have a child or children who respond, not all the time because we're not going to say absolutes, but who respond a lot of the time with a better idea or basically disobedience. Keep in mind the four D's of behavior from last week and also the printables, uh, the disobedience math. I hope that you subscribe to our newsletter so that you can get all eight of those printables for free. But anyway, you want to be sure that you are differentiating between the two behaviors and that disobedience is separated out. So now that you've decided that your child is not going to be allowed to respond for a certain period of time, you need to determine what that period of time will be and what your signaling words will be. For example, when you tell your child to do something like, um, uh, I need for you to go do the dishes because, you know, Johnny has gone to band practice for the evening. And then your daughter says, but it's not my turn and it's not, it's, why didn't Johnny do him before he left? And she starts in. You need to have a signaling phrase such as, remember, we're having the no response rule. What, what are you what do you, sorry, remember we are having the no response rule. What are you supposed to say? And then that gives your daughter a chance to catch her breath. Oh, yeah, I'm not allowed to argue. I'm not allowed to disagree. I'm not allowed to offer another suggestion and so on. And with that, then she should say whatever you determined. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, mom. All right. And it should be with the right tone and everything. Again, go back and listen to that four D's if you if you're rusty on those uh, concepts. But and then she should go on. And you have made it black and white instead of gray. You have let her decide. Oh, I can choose right now to obey or to disobey. What am I going to choose here? And then also. You put it in her, you put the ball in her court so she can choose. And you have also then let her realize what she is saying, you know, that she often disagrees on things that are not really that important. Now, if she says, but mom, then at that point, that is when you're, you're, you've decided ahead of time what the behaviors are that you're going to allow will be and also what your response will be, what the um, punishment will be. So if she continues, you need to get out of the situation. Don't banter back and forth with her. So at that point, you need to say, we are following the no response rule. 
You need to go do Johnny's dishes. I'm going in the other room now. Mom and Dad will talk to you tonight about your punishment for continuing to respond and then leave. Now, just like in the disrespect um, and also what's coming with the fighting, she's already chosen to disobey by talking more about it after you you made it clear. No response rule. Then, in addition to that, if she, so that's one disobedience. But in addition to that, if she doesn't go right out and do the dishes, then you have another disobedience on your hand. And at these ages, I really recommend that you get dad involved whenever possible. I know that, you know, dad isn't always in the home and maybe, you know, he isn't helping you very much with the discipline. But if you can do all of this together, it will be a lot easier for you. And so then you've just, you, you say that you're going to decide tonight. Then you meet with dad and the child tonight and don't, and again, no response. She can't say, but it wasn't fair, you know, or that isn't how it happened. Be very truthful about exactly what happened. Say it honestly. Don't try to, you know, get her into trouble or trick her or whatever. And just tell this is what happened. The, she had one dis, one disobedience in that she did not abide by the no response rule. She continued after I gave her the warning. Or, you know, she has two disobediences. She uh, did not abide by the no response rule when I told her to stop responding. And she also went and did something else instead of going to do the dishes right away. All of these things are taking the behavior from gray to black and white. Now, how long you do the no response rule is based on your child's normal responses. And whether you're doing it with the whole family at one time or just one child or whatever. And the goal, and you need to, you know, communicate this to your child, the goal is for the child to get back the ability to respond, but to handle that in a different way. So you've determined ahead of time what you're going to, what you're going to do, how long it's going to be, and so forth. So when you do allow response again, you need to be sure that it is a modified response. By that I mean that, that you say, okay, now... You know, we're going to allow responses again, but we're going to ask before responding. So you're taking baby steps. You are putting on training wheels, so to speak. You're not going to just let them go from no response to responding all the time again. But instead, they can ask, may I respond? And then the same thing has to be followed. If you say no, you may not respond, go on and do the dishes, then that's where it stops. And then then if, if she continues talking, then she's breaking the no response rule again. If you say, yes, you may respond... What do you want to talk about concerning this or whatever? And again, it has to be where there's not this bantering back and forth. There's not this, you know, the arguing and so on and so forth. And um, with the the whole disobedience with this age group, um, there are two other things that I um, wanted to bring up. And they actually go back to what our toddler information and even our preschool information to a certain extent. And that is that in our toddler information, we have a saying, and we actually have a meme floating around that says, don't say no unless you'll go. And with that meme, what we're saying is don't tell your toddler, no, you know, get out of that. No, come on. No, get back. Do not say no unless you're willing to get up and physically remove the child from it. Don't say no unless you'll go. So don't even use the word no unless you're going to back it up. Really, one of the best things you can do as a parent of toddlers is to quit saying no so much when you don't even mean it. 
and to say no only when you really do mean it. And so the same thing is true with this, with this age group. If you're going to say you have to do whatever, you have to back that up. And so don't say anything if you know you can't back it up or don't say, don't make any command at all unless you're willing to go, so to speak, unless you're willing to back it up. And so this is just going to be helpful to you because you need to evaluate your commands. Again, are you making too many commands? You know, are you being unrealistic? Do you need to decrease that so that you can get a handle on the obedience? The second thing kind of goes along with the first one, but that is the the points that we've made in our preschool and toddler information about um, not um, not asking but telling. We say tell, don't ask. And we know that this goes against a lot of the modern parenting techniques, you know, in which you're supposed to be, you know, you know, ask your child just like you would a peer and so on and so forth. The problem is that your child isn't a peer. And the problem is that if you ask your child to do something, you have to be ready to um, tell your child, uh, to, for your child to tell you no. So you can continue to ask if you want to ask, but you can't expect obedience from a question. So I recommend, and this is what I try to do with my, even my one-year-old grandson, who's uh, 22 months, I try to, I tell him what I want him to do. No, you get out of that. No, you can't touch that. No, that's Nana's, so on and so forth. But when I want to, when I want him to do something like, can you, can you throw this Kleenex away for me? Or can you give Nana a bye-bye kiss? Those are optionals. So if he doesn't do those, then I don't, ever say anything about it. I don't say, can you not touch Nana's computer? I say, don't touch Nana's computer. And the same thing is true with this age group. Don't ask what you want your child to do. Tell him. If you ask him, you are saying it's okay if you don't do it. And so, you know, if you want to abide by that parenting protocol, that's certainly fine. But then don't use the no response rule. Don't expect obedience. Don't punish for not doing it because you have asked rather than told. So I hope that this helps you with some obedience issues at this age group. Again, the key is always getting it from uh, gray to black and white. Okay, lastly, we're going to talk about fighting as one of the heart behaviors and some tips as well as a um, printable and a list for ways to handle this. Um, all of the heart behaviors have the same protocol in that they all start with a parent's apology, um, especially if you have let, especially to your younger kids, if you've let, let older kids be mean to them or harm them. Um, they need to know that you're sorry that you didn't do anything about it and that it was really wrong for you not to do anything. They also need to know that you're going to be protecting them. Um, you know, we don't want our children to be fearful in their own homes. So we need to be sure that that's taken care of. And then, of course, we always want to focus on taking a behavior from gray to black and white. So we're going to have a uh, list of um, unacceptable behaviors, a consequence list, as well as signaling words and phrases. Now, there are really a few things going on with fighting, and it's not really easy to get to the bottom of. I mean, you know, the Bible makes it clear. 
you know, when one person tells, tells his side of the story, he sounds right. When the other person tells his sound of the st- side of the story, he sounds right. And, and it just really, really sounds confusing. We like to use a lot of stories with our children. And there is just an outstanding adventure and odyssey story about Jimmy, Donna and Jimmy Barkley, who were left home alone. And Donna was supposed to be taking care of Jimmy. And, how what happened the story and then how they told it to their parents it's absolutely an amazing teaching tool to show that you know when somebody gives his side it sounds this way when somebody else gives their side it sounds this way and how distant those two can be from each other as well as how um how we see things and also how we embellish or um, exaggerate things. Anyway, if you have a chance to, to look, at, look that up, I don't know which set it's on, but it is uh, Donna and Jimmy uh, staying home alone for the first time when their parents go out. And it's also quite comical. So anyway, um, but the first thing we want to do is make a list of unacceptable behaviors. As I said earlier, if you know, harming another sibling, especially if it's an older harming a younger or whatever, that needs to be at the top of the list. Um, but what, what are your unacceptable behaviors? Um, we do classify fighting as a heart behavior, as one of the four Ds, as, as under the destruction one. But it's also important to note that sometimes it can be childish. Not everything, not every time a child does something to another sibling is he thinking to himself, I don't care if I hurt this person. I don't care if this hurts mom and dad. I don't care if I harm the family. I don't care. I'm just going to kick her anyway. That isn't always what happens. And so sometimes there might be a time when you just need to separate it out. You know, there's just a lot of childish behavior going on, a lot of nitpicking, a lot of, you know, your legs over the line, that type of thing. There are so many things that, that go into what ends up being children fighting and this end result of, um, of children's mistreatment of each other. So, you know, how you handle this and how you view it, um, you know, will be based, how you view, how you handle it will be based on what's going on. Is it just childish? Is it just nitpicking, you know, or, or what? And either way you don't, either way you want it to stop. Um, if you only have young children, and I hate to keep saying this, but um, I do want to to say that if you only have young children, um, you know, I hope that you will go to the blog and uh, listen to some of the things, uh, read some of the things about family unity, about getting peop- getting your whole family on the same team, um, about building each other up and things like that, because it really starts early on with how siblings view each other. You know, this... When it starts out with an older sibling being two or three years old and having a little baby brother or sister, it starts out wearing, you know, shirts, I'm the mean big brother, or, um, I, you know, I got, I got a little brat, bratty sister or whatever. I mean, you're starting out right away with looking at it in a negative way. I always hated it whenever people would say, well, how's he responding to the little, how's he responding to the baby and things like that. I know that there is a possibility that an older sibling could be jealous of a new baby or whatever, but I like to think that I'm with it enough as a parent and intelligent enough as an adult to do whatever I can to see that that doesn't happen. And so to always expect animosity I know that that it's from the beginning of time, Cain and Abel. I mean, I know that animosity between siblings is real, and it's not 
it's, it's not like we're not going to have it. But at the same time, I think there's an expectation that siblings are always going to be at each other. Siblings are always going to hate each other. They're always going to hurt each other. And so on. It's And it doesn't have to be so. Yes, there will be conflicts because you are living in one house. In our case, we had seven children in a 1,400 square foot house for 15 years. And we had three girls in one room and four boys in the other room. Talk about conflict. But also talk about teaching opportunities. I mean, we had opportunity after opportunity, day in and day out, to teach so many things to our children about relationships and about getting along, about deference, deferring to each other, about uh, putting somebody else before yourself, and um, just multiple, multiple things. I mean, I can't even tell you how many lessons that little house gave us. Um, so, yeah, we have this, we do have the situations where it could be bad, but we also have teaching opportunities, and we also have uh, this chance to to make our future, our children into future spouses, because how they treat their siblings will more than likely be how they treat their their spouse. I can remember when our oldest son was about to get married, um, he said, you know what, people always talk about, you know, however a, treat, uh, however a young man treats his mom is how he's going to treat his wife. He said, but I don't really think that's true. To me, it's more how I treat my sister. Because, you know, Kayla and I are more on the same level. So how I treat her is really probably how I'm going to treat my wife. Thankfully, um, by that time, he treated them very, very well. He treated his siblings very well. His sisters, he did even when he was younger, except he was um, the oldest with three little sisters. And he had them wrapped around his little finger. So there was um, just, they, they adored him and would do absolutely anything he said. So <laughs> that was, there were all kinds of different dynamics going on. So he never treated them badly. He never, ever ever hurt them. He never struck them. He never harmed them. He never did anything to physically hurt them at all. And, um, he actually wouldn't even, he isn't even the kind of person to fight. He doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't argue. He doesn't get angry and that type of stuff. Um, and that's in part because he was raised in this family where there were certain behaviors that were expected and we always worked things out. You know, when I, when, when I talked about these things to people, I don't want people to think that we never had anything to work on because the opposite is true. I mean, you put seven children, you put nine people on 1400 square feet with one shower and, um, uh, basically our bathtub didn't work. So one, one shower and, um, with, um, you know, three kids in one room, four kids in another. And, and there are all kinds of conflicts, but um, it's how we respond to those and how we use those. So we have our unacceptable list, whatever that might be. Definitely the striking, the harming should be first and foremost. And, and then you need a list of consequences uh, for those behaviors. Then we're really looking at two different things here. We're looking at, first of all, the one who is offended. And then we're looking at the offender. And so we want to teach them how to, you know, how to tattle, so to speak, or how to tell on a child or how on a sibling or how to tell that sibling to stop something without it blowing up into a big fight. Because usually, you know, it can be something small, but then it just escalates and escalates with you did this and then no, you, well, you did this first and then you did that and you did this. So that's why if we use signaling words, we can we can kind of combat that. Any kind of signaling words always just gives our child the chance to stop 
for a second. Just stop. Take a breath. Just stop. And so, um, you know, it signals. That's what a signaling word is or a signaling phrase. So um, we have a few, a couple of um, signaling words here. First of all, when the offended says, you know, so-and-so is doing this, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's doing this. The first thing um, we want to say is to not use accusing words, but to say it peacefully. Could you not use accusing words, but say it peacefully? Can you do that to your sibling? Don't use accusing words. Say it peacefully. And um, then he would say to the, the sibling, please don't flick me with the exact offense. Teach them to be very precise. You don't want them to say, don't pick on me, don't bug me, you know, that type of thing. You want them to be very precise. Please don't flick me. Please don't draw on my paper when I'm writing a report. Please don't whatever it is. And then the offender. Now the offender has a chance because you've given, you're right there in the situation. This is going on with two kids. They're starting, this noise is starting up and you're trying to get to the bottom of it. And you say, what's going on? So the offender says, he won't stop doing this and I'm trying to write my paper and da, 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 da. So then you, by saying, um, please don't use accuse, don't use accusing words, say it peacefully. Don't use accusing words, say it peacefully. You're giving peace to the situation right there. The one who is doing the offending has a chance to say, oh, yeah. And then the offended one has a chance to word it in such a way that is more peaceful. So at that point, you know, no accusing words, say it peacefully. Then the offended one, using the exact, saying the exact um, uh, offense, says, please don't flick me. And then the offender has all that time. The time when you were helping the offended to use the right words and to calm down and to be peaceful. And the time that the offended one said, please don't flick me. And he has a chance, the offender has a chance to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Or to continue. Gray to black and white. He's picking on me. No, I'm not. He won't stop. He's, I'm not doing anything. He won't quit. He won't leave me alone. He's making a big deal out of nothing. All of that gray... All of those things are gray. We're going to take it into black and white. Um, so he can, at that point, the offender could say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. All right. Um, if he says anything but that, that's not what you want. You don't want him to say, well, really wasn't that big of a deal, but sorry. You know, or, all right, I guess I apologize. Um in our three steps to apology, we have um, we have posts about that. The three, three steps to an apology and what an apology is and is not. Um, we talk about the wording uh, of an apology. It's important to word it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. As opposed to, um, I guess I'll say I'm sorry. No, don't don't say I guess I'll say it. Don't even say I'll say it. Say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't say, um, you know. All right, I apologize. I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then it should stop. Now, if he continues, then at that point, you could say, I need for you, you know, you won't stop flicking him when he's trying to do his paper. I need for you to go to your room and work on your independent work, and we will get the consequences tonight with that and end it right there. Um, you know, rather than letting him say, you know, 
I wasn't really flicking him, any, flicking him anymore. If he continues in anything that even remotely resembles that, he's still doing it. So it's, it's just very clear. It is an I'm sorry, please forgive me, and a change of behavior, or else it's a continuation of the behavior. Or it is a, an argument at that, play, at that point. And then you, then you would say, um, he said, please don't fl flick me. What do you say? And then you, you get involved in it like that. Now, there are so many other things that you can do for fighting. And I know that this is just, I'm just trying to give some things that you can go step by step. Because um, if you train your children when they're small, not to be mean to each other, to, to want to be with each other. I, can, I remember asking Joshua a few years ago when we were talking about some of these things at conventions. Why didn't you, you know, fight with the girls? Why didn't you hit them? Why weren't you mean to them? You know, why didn't you do these things to them that everybody says that all kids do? And he said, well, and he's a smart kid. So, I mean, he figured this out on his own. He said, well, I got to thinking, and I don't know if he really premeditated these thoughts, but I got to thinking I could either fight with them and not have anybody to do anything with, or I could, uh, make peace try to get along with them, include them in what I was doing, and I would have playmates for life. So there you go. Um, I will say that kids get along better if they're not running around all the time with friends. I'm not saying that kids don't have friends. I'm just saying that when your home is your center, the home is the very central aspect of your, of your life. This, the home is where we meet. The home is where we stay. The home is where we try to spend time together. We had rules with our children that three or four evenings a week, and it was four or five for probably 15 years, but um, everybody's home all together. That means saying no to a lot of things. It also means saying no to friends all the time because we wanted, our, we wanted to be with our kids. We wanted to be able to influence them. We wanted them to be with each other. We wanted them to be playmates. We wanted them to be friends. So um, a lot of these things, you know, are are warded off early on. But another thing that we did with fighting is that uh, my husband would, uh, and I have a blog post about this too, two things to teach humility and um, deference. Um, I think that's what it's called. It's, it's right in with the apology things, um, middle of September, 2015. Anyway, um, but he would say, I want you to tell me if you're at a stalemate, and a lot of times it's escalated to the point where you can't tell which end is up. And so in that situation, he would get turned to one. He said, I want, he would say, I want you to tell me everything that you did in this situation. I don't want you to tell me anything that the other person did. I only want you to tell me what you did. And as soon as they would veer off and start to say, but then he, then my husband would say, nope, I only want to hear your part in it. And then he would turn to the other child and say, now I want to hear your part in it. What did you do? that caused all this trouble. And uh, when they were not allowed to mention what the other person did, they would uncover a lot more about what they did themselves, too. Another thing that he did a lot, and this, is, this only works if you've taught conflict resolution a lot, but he would say, if, they come, if our kids came to him or to, to us and said, you know, so-and-so did this, this, and this, he would say, did you go try to reconcile with your brother first? Did, don't talk to me. Talk to him. Did you talk to him? And 
this only works if you have taught them conflict resolution scenarios like this, um, no accusing words, say it peacefully, and those type of things. If you've taught them to be repentant, to be sorry for what they've done, to see their their role in something. Because most of the time, or a lot of the times today, you know, even with adults, we're all no fault. And um, if we let our kids grow up being no fault, they're in for a terrible marriage. Seriously. I mean, the people who are never at fault never really have genuine harmony in their marriage. And we definitely don't want that. I mean, we want to teach our kids conflict resolution, deference, acceptance, uh, accepting responsibility for their actions so that they can go into adult relationships in healthy ways. So I'm going to close this because this has been long, long, long. I do hope that you will subscribe to the blog and get the um, 4D behavior posters. And I also hope that you will subscribe to the newsletter and get the printables for these behaviors. Uh, they'll have, they have their printables with the blanks right there for you to fill in with all the steps and the keyword signal words and all that just to have in front of you when you're trying to work with your 10 through 14 year old. So anyway, please join us next week. Please come next week ready to hear, uh, you know, download, whatever, um, all of the good things that we have for building relationships. We've dealt with a lot of, nope, I'm sorry, it's a week after that. Last two weeks we dealt with a lot of problems with the heart. Four Ds and then um, uh, heart behaviors, which are more the four Ds, but specific behaviors for this age group. Next week we are going to do character issues um, of this age group, which really applies to anybody, you know, not, not picking up your toys, not putting your things away, not getting, not meeting deadlines, not doing your chores. Those will deal with routine things. And we'll have some printables for that, that have to do with character training, as opposed to more of these heart behaviors. And then the next week, um, please join us when we get after three weeks of discipline and so forth for this age group, we move into the heart training. We move into the heart affecting. We move into the, um, the, the getting the heart, the actual relationship um, with our teens. I will say that you could listen to that and then come backwards because all of these things are so much easier to do if you've had those, if you have those relationships. Um, look that up on the blog, uh, rules, um, a recipe uh, for rebellion that tells a little bit about the relationship and how we cause our children not to want to follow our our leading and our paths and our um, commands and so forth when we don't have that relationship with them. So join us in a few weeks, in a couple weeks, for that um, how to get their hearts, spend time with them, how to get them on your team, how to just enjoy them. Um, and not just all discipline. So thank you very much for listening. This has been Donna Reesh with Character Inc. You can find us at the Character Inc. blog. Um, Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar. Homeschooling with Character. Um, Language Lady. Just a lot of places. And we hope you will look us up. Thanks a lot.